All right, so we are working through this letter, Philippians. My table's wobbly. My ADHD is kicking in really good right now. So we are working through this letter, Philippians, as we have been uh, for a few weeks. We're going to do it one more week, and then we were going to Easter again. We said Easter's coming up. We had some service times, 845, 10, and 1115. Uh, if you are willing to come to the 845, we're going to have some incentives for you, and we'll talk about those next week to try to get you guys here early, all right? It's really early, but we, we would love for some of you to do that to make room for everybody else. And so we're going to do this letter, and this letter has been about ideas. And we've been talking about ideas of what's possible, ideas of what's possible for us as human beings, what's possible for us with our relationship to God, what's possible when it comes to our relationships. And today I want to talk about a different idea that comes in Philippians chapter 4. And if you've been reading ahead, you know that this conversation is coming up because it's a real conversation and it's an old conversation. This is not a new idea. Uh, this is something that Paul struggled with. This is something that people in those times struggle with. But the idea today is this. Most of life's battles are won or lost in your mind. Do you know that? Like, we, we think that it's external, but most of the battles that we face in life are won or lost in our mind. So, it's almost impossible to have a positive life outlook if you have a negative mind. If you always go to the negative, it's almost impossible to win some of the battles that we face. And the problem could be when your mind races with negative thoughts and irrational worries. Now, don't elbow anybody or, or look at anybody, but think about this. How many of us can relate to irrational thoughts and runaway fears consuming our minds, right? right? You see somebody raise their hand, right? Okay, really bold. All right, so we're trying to make decisions about the future, and it's easy for our mind to race, to be overwhelmed with fear and anxiety, to make things bigger than what they are. Uh, my daughter struggles with anxiety, and it's, it's been something we've been battling uh, her whole life. And we all, to some degree, struggle with anxiety, but she really struggles with anxiety and um, irrational thoughts. Um, a few years ago, we went to Disney World, which is supposed to be the happiest place on earth. It's not. And uh, uh, my daughter, what we didn't know, we kind of knew this, but we thought she'd grown out of it. Um, she is terrified of people in costumes. Uh, so imagine going to Disney, right? That was a lot of fun. Uh, there was one part where the stormtroopers come in. They do this march. I don't know if you know about this. Um, it was horrible. Like it was, so we're like, okay, this isn't for her. So we like take her to see Goofy. Like what is intimidating about Goofy? She sees Goofy and full on terror, like, like clenching me, crying. And, and we asked her later, like, what, what were you thinking? And she couldn't explain it. Like, it was just this irrational thing of something was going to happen to her. And, and a lot of us, we relate to that. Like, things come up, we see things, and it's just part of our life, and we don't want it to be, but it just is. And then there's just, like, the casual anxiety person, right? Like, all of us have things that, that come up. And, and so Paul addresses this. And, and I have to tell you, when we read this and we read what he's going to say, it's very easy to be dismissive of it. Or if you're someone that struggles with anxiety and a lot of worries, it's easy to say, well, Paul just doesn't understand what I'm going through, which is why I have to remind you where Paul is writing this letter. He's writing this letter from prison, okay? Anytime your story involves while I was in prison, things are not going well, right? Not only is he in prison, he, he's in prison, he's awaiting trial, knowing that he may face death and be put to death through all of this. And so if there's anybody that has the right to say these things, or we should pay attention to what he's saying in these situations. Listen, 
If there was ever a reason to be worried or anxious, prison might be one of those times, right? Okay? And here's what he says. He says, Rejoice in the Lord always, and I will say it again, rejoice. Now, let's leave that there for a second. And, and, and here's, here, here's what he's saying. In other words, in good times, we rejoice, and in difficult times, we rejoice. When things are going well, we rejoice. When prices of gas are reasonable, we rejoice, but even when they're not, right? When we're well and healthy, we rejoice, but if we're also battling sickness and disease, we rejoice. And so we say that in every circumstance that you face in life that may cause anxiety or worry, he's going to get to that, that we rejoice. Now, remember, I told you this is easy to be really dismissive. And he says, let your gentleness be evident to all the Lord is near. And then he says this. Do not be anxious about anything. Now, leave that up there for a second. In other translations, it'll say, be anxious for nothing, which means that there's nothing that you should be anxious about. And I get it. When when people tell you if you're someone that struggles with anxiety or worry and someone tells you not to worry, be anxious about it, that doesn't help, does it? It actually makes it worse, right? Because now you just think that I just don't care and I'm just living this flippant life. And so now you're worried for me, right? And so it's this weird cycle Let me ask you, have any of you disobeyed this command recently? Right? Don't be anxious about anything. And here's what I know. I don't care how confident you are, how put together you are. I don't care how spiritual or holy you claim to be. I don't know how many Bible verses you can quote. I don't care if you can give me a detailed eschatological discourse of the book of Revelation in the original Greek. You're going to get worried about some stuff, aren't you? And sometimes we battle anxiety. And things come into our life that we can't control. They seem out of control, and it makes our mind race. So here's what Paul says. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart's and your, what's the word? Minds. Almost all of the battles, whether we win or lose, depends on how we think about them, what happens in our minds. And then he ends by saying this. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And then he says this, and if you do this, whatever of you learned or received or heard from me, remember he's in prison, and the peace of God will be with you. Now, let's talk about anxiety. Let's talk about the mind. Your life is always moving in the direction of your strongest thoughts. Did you know that? What you allow yourself to think about, we've already talked about, that's where your mind is moving. So if you have really good news, if your thoughts are good and helpful and positive. So if you're a person that's always positive and always being optimistic, then this is really good news. But if you're really negative or your thoughts are negative, then this can be bad news, the idea that we're always moving in the direction of the strongest thoughts or, as the Bible will say, the thoughts that we allow to take us captive, Okay, there's this language that's used is that, that our brains are these thoughts and they take us captive. And then those things direct the, the, the way we're going 
in life. Okay, so what do we know about the mind? Well, the mind is fascinating. It's very interesting. And, and we're really, really just in the last half century starting to understand the brain a little bit more and even more recently. And I love both scripture and science, so we're going to combine the two a little bit today. And I do believe that God is the God who gives us science and helps us understand science. And so here's what we know. We have this little almond-shaped portion of the mind called the amygdala. You ever heard of the amygdala? Okay, hopefully you pay attention in class, all right? The amygdala is an interesting little part of the brain, and it's the part that's wired for survival. It's the part that if you ever heard the phrase fight or flight, right? You ever heard that? The amygdala is what is responsible for that. And so it's this little God-given portion of the brain that kicks in, often sending doses of adrenaline to the rest of our body in moments where we need to be aware, on guard, or alert. Let me tell you about a couple weeks ago at our house. So at our house, we live kind of out in, we live by Burnham Forest. And so there's a ton of deer everywhere. And we, we live on, uh, there's woods behind us and all this stuff. And the way our driveway faces, it faces the street you turn in on. And so we have like one of those little ring doorbell cameras that people have. And so we have one of those. So if people like deliver packages or whatever, or somebody walking up our street, we can see them. And so what happens is if anything goes in front of that camera, it sends an alert to the little the panel, which is in our bedroom. So it's like this little digital panel in our bedroom. And so that happens, okay? And so about two weeks ago, it's about 2.30 in the morning, and we get this alert that there's something in front of the camera, right? And, and it's 2.30 in the morning. We're a little disoriented. And so the screen lights up. Now, the other thing is we have a dog named Charlie, and he's the cutest dog, but he's not very smart. And so anytime that screen lights up, he just starts barking uncontrollably, like that something's about to happen. And, and so he, it's 2.30 in the morning. He starts barking because the thing lights up. The other thing is where our bedroom, there's these two big windows right there, and we have these blinds we normally close, but we got lazy that night and didn't close them. And so at 2.30 in the morning, these deer apparently had run past the camera, which sets that off. Then they run past our window. So now Charlie, our dog, is going crazy in front of the window, like uncontrollably barking. It's 2.30 in the morning. So in my mind, I'm thinking somebody's breaking into our house, right? I mean, that's the thought I have. So, you know, it's this fight or flight kind of moment. Like, this is the moment, like, you're going to test yourself. What's going to happen? So I get up out of bed. My wife's like, go check on it, you know, because she's just going to lay there. And so... <laughs> Go, go check on it. And so I get up. It's 2.30 in the morning. I'm disoriented. Now, and I don't care how you feel about this, so this is just part of the story. I do have a gun in my nightstand, just, you know, in case. But rather than grab the gun, I reach down on the floor and grab the dog leash. <laughs> As if that's going to do anything, right? So I go to the garage door. I open the garage door. I look out there. There's nothing there. I go to the front door. Then, then I pull up the video feed from the camera and realize it's just deer running, running past our house. But there was this moment like I was ready to go, right? I don't know how I'm going to beat somebody up with a dog leash, but I was ready to do it if I needed to, right? And it's this part of our brain that does this. It's this part where like you should be worried right now. It tells us this. It's chemically kind of embedded into part of who we are. The problem with the amygdala is it's not objective, okay? It's just not. And it's simply hardwired, and it's also very easily triggered. So God gave us another part of our brain called the prefrontal cortex. This is the logical part of our brain that tends to think logically. So if there's a noise in the house at night, your amygdala screams, you're going to die. The prefrontal cortex says, no, it's probably just the dog, right? And so they work together. The amygdala is all panic. The prefrontal, context, prefrontal cortex is all logic. 
Now, here's what they found. When we allow anxiety to be this thing that constantly gets us, and there's a connection, obviously, between our amygdala and our, our anxiety and our worries, but anxiety over time weakens the connection between the amygdala and the prefrontal cortex, which means the panic silences the logic. So the more we worry, the more there's a disconnect between the part of your brain that's hardwired to tell you it's going to be okay, let's think through this, and the part of your brain that says the world is burning. And I don't know what it would be in your life, but I know that for some of us, we have had trauma or hurt or things that have happened to us. People have done things to us. And over time, this worry and this fear and these things, they build up and they build up and they build up, and it becomes this runaway portion of our mind. And it's almost like for some of us, it's like we can't think logically anymore. I know there's an explanation. I know there's a reason. I know it's probably going to be okay. I know it's probably going to work itself out. But in this moment, I can't see that connection. All I see is the worry and the fear and the unknown. And so Paul, in a Roman prison, says, don't be anxious about anything. So what are we anxious about? Maybe if you're a student, you're anxious about the big test. Maybe at work, you're anxious about the big job interview or the promotion. For some of us, let's be honest, it's a health situation. <clears throat> it could be a decision about the future. It could be a financial burden. For some of us, we get anxious when our microphone doesn't work right and everybody's staring at you. <laughs> Don't be anxious about anything, but in every single situation... By prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Do we do that? Now, I know for some of us, because we're Christians, what we're going to say is like, oh, yeah, we pray. But what's interesting to me is when we come into times of crisis and situations like this, what often happens is we get to the place where we go, oh, my gosh, it's so bad. All we can do now is pray. Right? And we do that. Like, all we can do now is pray. And imagine God hears that and saying, and you think that's nothing? You, you think that's, that you, it's a last resort. All we can do now is pray. No, we have to understand that prayer is powerful. Being able to, to acknowledge these things, to present these requests to God, that it's, it's powerful. There's been a lot of studies done recently about the idea that when we find ourselves in these situations, sometimes just making your worries and anxieties known can actually weaken their power in your life. And that's not even talking to God. That's just talking to somebody, right? Because for a lot of us, the stuff that we're struggling with, like, we don't want people to think we're crazy, right? So we don't say anything. And we have all of these battles that were going on in our minds and in our hearts and sometimes just letting somebody see a little bit of what's going on, we're learning it's very, very helpful. And imagine if the person that you're allowing to know what's going on, as if he already didn't, is God. And so he says with prayer and petition, you know, the author of Hebrews says, let us come boldly before the throne of grace. James, the brother of Jesus, says, you do not have because you did not ask. So what if we prayed? What if we took Paul at his word and we actually said, you know, there's these things in my life. 
I'm going to pray about these things. I'm going to bring these things to God. I'm not going to hide these things. I'm going to present my request to God. Now, the reason I bring all that up, and I think the reason Paul brings that up, is there's this fascinating thing that we've learned about the brain in the last few years. What they're finding, and there's studies about this, you Google it for yourself if you don't believe me, is there's all kinds of studies they're finding about the connection between prayer and meditation and the chemistry of your brain. And what's fascinating is for decades, they've been studying this, and they've actually found that these things actually help reshape your brain. Years ago, uh, neurologists believed that your brain didn't change after adolescence, okay? How many of you are glad that God didn't allow your brain to freeze at 15 years old, right? (laughs) Our brains continue to evolve, and it continues to change, and we can actually rewire them. In fact, there's this word, neuroplasticity, which is essentially the idea that our brains are actually more pliable and more like plastic than we realized. Essentially, what neuroplasticity is, is the more you think about something, the easier it is to believe that the easier it is for you to kind of get to that place over and over again. Now, here's the thing. That can be good or it can be bad. The more you worry about something, the more easy it is to worry. The more you try to be optimistic and positive about something, the more easy it is to get to that place in your brain. The author came out a few years ago. I started a conference. Her name is Dr. Caroline Leaf, and she's a brilliant cognitive neuroscientist. And here's what she said. She wrote a book called Switch on Your Brain. And she said that it's been found by multiple studies that 12 minutes of daily focused prayer or meditation, just 12 minutes, can change the brain to such an extent that it can be measured on a brain scan. That what they're finding is that as we do this, it's actually changing the pathways within our brain. Which is interesting that 2,000 years ago, a guy in a Roman prison cell said, hey, if you want to change your outlook on life, maybe what you should do is pray about it more. Think about such things, the good things, the positive things. At the same time, you can think about the toxic and negative things that do harm to your brain, and we don't have a hard time getting there. But what we're finding that Paul understood 2,000 years ago that modern science is just now catching up with is that it actually can transform your brain. It can literally renew your mind. So why do we worry? Why do we find ourselves so anxious, especially those of us that are Christians, right? We, we have this belief that we're followers of Jesus and we trust in God. So why do we allow our minds to often race in such an irrational way? Why do we allow our amygdala to constantly tell us you're in trouble? You better take control. You better work harder, right? You better stay up at two in the morning and worry about this, right? You ever do that? You ever like two o'clock in the morning just have that thing and like you just, you're just there and then you can't go back to sleep and all you do is just worry about it and think about it and think about it and think about it? Why do we allow these things to dominate our thoughts? I think a big part of it is how Paul ends this little section. He says, well, what are you thinking about? I gotta be honest with you. So when I was thinking about this, I was thinking about the last two years. It's just been messed up, right? You got COVID, you got all this stuff, you got all the political drama, you've got, I mean, all of these things. Now there's all this stuff going on overseas and there's all these things that we have to worry about. And and here's the thing, if we get up, and I do this, and I'm guilty of this, I get up every morning, and do you know the first thing I check when I get up in the morning? Twitter. Not a good way to start your day, right? Probably not, all right? And so we, we get up and there's all these things and the world's burning and everything's the end of the world and all this stuff. 
And so I was thinking about this. Like the last two years, we, and I say this and people say this, we talk about how terrible it's been. And I know that for a lot of us, there's been some personal things and there's been loss and we've lost loved ones. And, and I'm not going to like say it's been the best time ever. But then what happened was I was thinking about this and I was talking about how much we've been through the last two years. I started looking at photos of my phone. And my phone, if you have an iPhone, it does this great thing where it creates memories for you, right? And you can just click on it, and there's like these little sappy songs. I think it's trying to make you cry. And so it shows you all these pictures. And I was looking at my phone, and I was looking at like all the fun that me and my family have had. And I was looking at all the fun that I've had with other people. And yeah, it's been hard, and it's been stressful, but there's also been a lot of good, right? And so what do we allow ourselves to think about? What do we allow to dominate our mind? And I think that's what Paul's getting to. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is lovely, think about those things. The other reason I think that for us as Christians, the reason that we, we, we misunderstand this and we struggle with this is I think for a lot of us, even after this, you're like, okay, I need to pray more. I'm going to give it to God. And so here's what will happen. You guys, when we do worship or we do prayer time here in a minute, you're going to be like, God, I'm giving you this. I'm trusting you with this. And you give it to God. And then what happens is you leave here, you go out in the parking lot, you go out to lunch or home. It's been 45 minutes and nothing's changed. And you're like, you know what? I'm going to take that back. <laughs> right? God hasn't worked in the top frame. You gave him 45 minutes. Good for you. Right? And so you take it back, don't you? I mean, I know, I'm, but like, that's what we do, right? Like, I'm giving this to you. I can't control it. I'm giving it to you. It doesn't work. It's not immediate, okay? And then we take it back. And you know what we do? We start worrying again. And we feel like we have to take control. And we start spinning in circles. And your mind starts racing over and over again. Why do we do this? Could it be that our God is often too small in our minds and our worry is too big. What did we say? The battle of the mind. And so in our minds, not saying this is how it is in reality, our God is too small and our worries are too big. And so what Paul is encouraging us to do is to give it over, to trust, to think about things differently. I gotta be honest with you. I really struggle with that because I'm a control person. Anybody else? I feel like given enough time and you let me talk enough and let me think about enough, I can fix everything. I can control everything. But it doesn't work. And so I need to remember that he's good and that he's faithful and he's trustworthy and I need to give it to him. Now, when I say that, some of you are going to say, well, that sounds irresponsible, irresponsible. Or you're just living in denial. Or you've got to be more responsible than that just to give it over to God. So here's my philosophy I'm trying to adopt in my life. A couple big thoughts. And the first one is this. I do believe that we should do what we can do. Right? I do believe that we're going to, we should do what we're going to do. So, for example, if you have a big test, I don't know if there's any students here. I'm going to go talk to students as soon as I get out of here, and I'm going to bring up this illustration. So let's say you got a big test coming up. And you remember this. you got a big test coming up. It's 60% of your grade, right? you got three weeks to study for it. What does every single person in this room do? You wait till the last minute, the night before, and then you study. And then you're stressed and you're worried and you're anxious about it. 
what if you started studying three weeks ago, right? So I'm going to do what I can do. For, for some of you, you got a big meeting coming up at work or promotion interview or whatever it is that you got coming up. And you don't prepare. You don't figure out what you need to say. You don't do your research. You don't do your homework. And then you stress and you worry about it. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to start preparing for this. Or you want to get in better shape, right? I'm not just going to pray about it. I'm going to eat right. I'm going to exercise, right? You're going to get advice from people that can help you. So you do what you can do, right? That's what we should do. Do what you can do. And then eventually you reach a point where you've done everything that you can do. And it's out of your control. And you give to God what you can't do. And I know for some of you in this room, because I think like this, that seems really difficult. Because I feel like I can just give me enough time, I can figure it out. I don't want to cause any more anxiety for anybody in the room, but it's going to happen. It's crazy when you think about how little control of your life you actually have. Did you, did you, I mean, I know, I know for some of you that just made this way worse, okay? But it's crazy how little control you actually have. You have no control over the cells in your body. You can try, you can do what you can, right? You can eat better, you can drink the right things, you can exercise, but you don't, do you? And you have no control of what happens when you leave this place and you get on 65 and you can follow the rules, you can drive the speed limit, you can have your seatbelt on, but you have no control over what that driver does or that driver does. You can feed your kids, you could take them to Disney World, right? But you have very little control over what sometimes they choose and they do. And so it's crazy how little control we actually have and how much we buy into the illusion that we do have control. And so we do what we can, and then we give it to God what we can't. And then here's the last step, and this is the hard one. Not only do we give it to God, but we trust in him. And we trust that he has what's best in mind. And we trust that he can handle it because of who he is, because of his character, because of his nature, and because of his promises. You know, the fascinating thing to me when I talk to people about God's promises is this. There's a lot of things that we think God promised that he never actually promised. He never promised life wouldn't be hard. He never promised life wouldn't be filled with heartache and disease and pain. But he did promise he'll never leave us or forsake us. That's actually a promise he made. But some of these other promises he didn't make. But because of who he is, we can trust in his promises. And no matter what, because of his goodness, his promises, and his faithfulness, we're going to trust in him. Jesus, in Matthew chapter 6, and we've used this before, he has this amazing section of scripture. And I was looking at this week when I was preparing for it. And, and he says this. He says, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life what you will eat or what you will drink or about your body or what you will wear. Now, we, we don't think about these things, right? I mean, um, we, th we worry about our life, but we don't think about what we're going to eat or what we're going to drink, okay? The, these, these are problems that they had. Where is my next meal going to come from? Where, where is my next clean water going to come from? Am I going to have enough clothes? Often in their culture, you may only have one outfit, 
ladies, one outfit. That's it. So he says, is, is life not more than food and body more than the clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns. And yet your heavenly father feeds them. Now here's the question. We always come back to this. This is the question we all have to wrestle with. Are you not much more valuable than they? Do you believe that you're more valuable than the birds of the air? Can any of you, by worrying at a single hour to your life? And the answer is no. And do you know what modern medical science tells us? It actually is costing you your life, right? The amount of things that worry and stress do to our body, not only mentally but physically, it's actually costing us. It's hurting us. One of the things I think it's fascinating I've already used it once, but have you ever heard of the expression like spinning in circles, right? You ever spun in circles, like when you're thinking about it? And what's fascinating is when we get in, I'm going to try this. My mic's probably going to glitch on me. So when we spin in circles, um, we're just, we're, we're, what's fascinating is you can do this for a long time, and I'm trying not to get dizzy. Um, but what happens is, our, our, okay, I need to stop. And so what happens is when I'm doing that, I feel like I'm doing something, but I'm not actually going anywhere. And some of us in our worry, we just spin in circles, don't we? And you know the other bad part about that is not only am I spinning in a circle, I'm not getting anywhere, now I'm disoriented. (laughs) And I might go in the wrong direction. We're spiraling out of control. You ever heard that expression? We're no better than where we started when we spin in circles. And listen to verse 28. And why do we worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the fields grow. They do not labor or what? Spin. Because all of our spinning, all of our worrying gets us nowhere. So what I want to do is for a moment, I want you to imagine a heart of peace. I want you to imagine a life filled with unending joy. And I want you to imagine a peace of mind trusting God. And you don't realize this, but do you know what all of those things actually have in common? They're choices. They're choices that we make. Your life is moving in the direction of your strongest thoughts. So what do you allow your mind to think about? What voices are you allowing to speak? What is the stronghold in your life? What's fascinating is Paul says, think about what's true. And so when we're renewing our minds, what we have to do is think about what's actually true of us. It's easy to believe all of the other things, all of the other lies about us and our life, but do you actually believe the things that are true? Like that you are loved, that you do have value. You are so much more valuable than the birds. You are not defined by your past. You are not defined by your mistakes. You are more than the season of life that you find yourself in. There is a God who created you, who loves you, 
who will never leave you or forsake you. Those are true things. And so Paul writes, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the God of peace, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, think about such things. And the God of peace will be with you. Let's pray.